0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's just being cheeky. It's okay. We're allowed. Say move the mountains. Can you say that? No, that was... I mean, honestly, a mole wouldn't run. Let's say move the mountains. There we go. Yes, that was better. And if you were with us last week, you would have met our friends Rob and Elette Boerta. They are big people in physical reality, but also big people in God. And we loved, and the reason we had them at this time is because we felt into this year that God is calling us to a year of faith. I know that sounds like, but you're a church, you should have faith all the time. Yes, I know that. That's why maybe God sometimes comes like a chiropractor and he wants to align and call us to big faith moments. It was amazing. In, in the whole book of Acts, there's this amazing word called suddenly. And suddenly God does this. And suddenly God does this. Had a bit of a suddenly at 10 past five tonight. My doorbell rang and there was Wally Gerstmeyer at my doorbell. Hey! And if you don't know Wally, he's the guy who planted this church. His wife himself and two little girls drove down to Cape Town, had no friends here, had nothing going on here, and said, actually, we're going to plant a church. And a 9 Jenny Lane started a church. That home groups every night just so people would come. The courage and the faith, and I going, that's how this church was planted, part of a church planting movement. Who'll go to Cape Town? Wally Gersmayer. Who'll go to Mongolia? A lady named Sandy Lauf. A single lady in her late 30s at the time moves to Mongolia. Not to preach every day, to start a preschool, because that's what she did. She was a preschool teacher. But the gospel got so inside of her that she moves to Mongolia. You know what happens in Mongolia? The prime minister's son comes to her class. She gets to share the gospel with men and women in authority and positions of power. And I'm going, that's who we are. Move the mountains is not a nice mantra to get the church excited. It's not. Jesus speaks to his disciples, and it comes from this amazing statement where he actually rebukes and he challenges disciples, and he says to them, for truly I say to you, they've been chickening out, they've been wimping out, they couldn't perform some of the miracles he trained them to do, and he was teaching them to step up into says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's this call that, yes, it is a rebuke, but it's actually a challenge. He's saying, come on, guys. There's so much in me, in, my, in what I've put inside of you. You've walked with me for years now. I'm calling you to a story to move mountains. And mountains might be physical mountains, but mountains look like depression. Mountain looks like relational brokenness. Mountains look like cannot kick out of a spiral of financial chaos. Mountains look like every three months I have a new best friend because I can't do relationships. Those look like mountains in people's lives. They are real. They destroy. They stop people walking into freedom, into more. And actually, we're believing at this time God is calling us as a community to be a people who will trust Him. And he will step into more and step into the promises that he has for us. So he sends gifts to the church. And Robin and let and so now that they've gone, I can talk about them. But actually, Ephesians 4, the Bible says, Jesus gives gifts to the church. Actually, it says it this way. So Christ himself gave. We believe that God gives gifts to the church for this purpose. The prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. He says, actually, I'm going to give gifts to the local church. Some of them are going to be big people who live in the desert in the Middle East. I'm going to send them to Africa so that the church can be what? So the church can be entertained. I'm going to send a show pony to the church to entertain the church. No. No, I'm not doing the show pony again. Got a hamstring issue. If you weren't here, you missed out. We're not doing the show pony. It was a good one. Um, though. But, but God doesn't give these gifts to be show ponies for the church. To entertain us on weekends. So let's, let's get the church a little excitement. So we're going to bring someone in. Let's bring an apostle in. They're going to get, they're going to get the church started. We're we'll right off that for a while. And then we've got to bring someone else. We've got to bring a prophet in. And everyone's like, oh, the prophet's coming in two months' time. The prophet's coming. We get so excited. We run to church. We run away. We feel like a great moment. But then we ride there and it rides off. No, that's not why God gave those gifts to the church. And that's not why. And the gifts are people. It's not why he gave them to the church. It's actually so we can be equipped for works of service. So our lives can become those that bring glory to God. We get pulled into a God story. So we don't just do Monday to Friday to make it to the weekend so we can go to church on Sunday and ride off the high of Sunday. No, that's not the gospel. That's something else, but that's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus comes inside of us so that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there is the power of the resurrected one inside of us to bring his glory and see his name made great. He says, actually, I'm going to give some gifts. So we receive these gifts, and it's important how we receive these gifts and make sure that God is speaking to us, and we're picking up on what God is saying. And even as we process this week as I stop, what was God saying to Robin? One of them is that Afrikaans boy, key with an Afrikaans wife who could not speak English, moved to a desert. And in a desert, 14 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot going on in Doha. But in a desert, they encountered the king of kings. And in a desert, they encountered a love that he had for his people, so they fell in love with his people. And in their church, they have 64 different nations represented. And I've been there as this big man named Rod Burza hugs a little Nepalese man named Jit. And they are best mates. The gospel does that. So he sends it and says, actually, maybe life changes. Maybe the promise of Psalm 2 that I ask of me and I'll give the nations as an inheritance. is not just some nice song that we can write for church, but a promise that maybe God is stirring inside of us. And then they our story of the story of healing. And I'm going, God, what are you doing with us? No, I'm calling you to rise up in stories of faith, that this time to trust God for what only God can do. And then they tell stories of businessmen doing amazing things. And there's a story of one of his friends named Navraj. No, Nubrush was the guy who planted the church. Another guy who had a, had a dream. His business was struggling. He was the general manager of a business, not the owner. And he started, he had a dream about a certain product. So he put that product in place. Now it is the number one product in, in, in Qatar. And if you know what's going on in Qatar, they can't export anything right now. Nothing. There's an embargo around them. And all of a sudden, this nation's market is buoyed by a man who has a God dream and his business is flourishing amidst embargo. Why? Because God wants to do amazing things with this church. They made a very challenging statement. They said, people, young people aren't running to the church because they are scared of it. Actually, sometimes they're not running to the church because they might think it's boring. It's a challenge. It's a good thing no one said amen here. I'm just telling you. Just, no, I'm joking. But I look at the early church in the book of Acts, which we're going to spend some time in tonight, and I'm going, it's anything but boring. It's anything but state. It's anything but predictable. God breaks in. Jesus comes, and we get this guy, and we land in the book of Acts. If you want to start turning to Acts chapter 1, it's after the four gospels. It's about two-thirds way back in your Bible. It's written by a guy named Luke. He was a doctor, so he wrote the book of Luke, and in his account... Because he's a doctor, he's obviously fascinated by all the miracles that are gone. He has all the greatest accounts of of all the miracles. But then he's also the guy that pens down the book of of Acts. And in the book of Luke, he he details Jesus' life up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And stops there, as do Mark, Matthew, and John. But in the book of Acts, he tells the story of Jesus coming back and sits for 40 days with his disciples. And as a scholar, as a, as, a, as a doctor, he's good at taking details. So he writes down the details of this encounter and the encounter of the early church. And that's the book of Acts. It's a story of what God did through actually his grace and his goodness. We're going to read from Acts chapter 1. Everyone okay? I feel like I've just used a shotgun. We're all okay. In my former book, Theophilus, I sometimes call Gabe that just on like weekdays. It's just a nice name. It's a good thing. What are you pointing out, Candice? I write with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I think that's a very important line. Right in the very beginning line of this statement, it says actually everything Jesus began to do and to teach. There is a doing and a teaching. There is a, a seeing the manifestation of and a knowing the truth. There's both that Jesus came to bring. He said, Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised what you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit it's an incredible statement and in literally five verses he gets so much truth in there he speaks about actually there are these instructions coming to the apostles Number one is actually, and in there he gave these undeniable proofs that it was him, that it was the Savior. He was back. He had risen from the dead. He begins to speak to him, and for 40 days he teaches about the kingdom of God. He says, actually, God's not like this. He's like this, and God's kingdom, where his rule and his reign come when we pursue that, and heaven touches it, it looks like something. Why? Because in three years of walking with him, there was still confusion in them. So he's saying, guys, I've got 40 days. I want to tell you about my God, and I want to tell you about my Father. I want to tell you about His kingdom, that He's calling you to be a part of ambassadors to go out and see His kingdom advanced. And then he promises, actually, but then I don't want you to leave this place with that head knowledge. You can't just leave here knowing there's a kingdom. You can't just leave here knowing I'm alive. I need you to be full of the Holy Spirit. So wait. Wait in Jerusalem for this gift that I'm going to give. And then it carries on, says... Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. I'm going to stop there. Just got four points tonight. It's just called the main things. (laughs) I feel when God sends apostolic gifts like we believe Robin and Lett are to the church. He, it's, it's, it's so that God's, the, the supernatural chiropractics of heaven can come into the church and align us to everything that is God. Sometimes we can get off focus. And we see that in every Bible that Paul wrote to the churches, there was a lenience. So we build these relationships and we invite these gifts in to come and align us, to make sure that we are on the mission that God has called us to and to challenge us in different areas. We aren't just choosing what road we want. We're saying, God, speak to us, challenge us. But tonight, four fall, little things that I think are the main things. The first one is this, and it comes from verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? First one is this. The doers of the kingdom or the doers of the gospel have to be able to live with mystery. Mystery. Who likes mystery novels here? Are you a mystery novel reader? Anyone? Liars. There's someone here. There we go. Three people like mystery novels. I know a whole lot more. People love mystery when it's not about us, and it doesn't impact us, and it doesn't challenge us. We love mystery when we think it's fiction. We don't love mystery when it's our lives. So you go to your boss, and you say, well, what's my target for the year? Hmm, it's a mystery. Not helpful. It's not helpful. You'll learn as as, as new people get married, Tyler and Kate. And you go, what do you want to do today? I'm not sure. Just going to wait on the Lord and see. No, you're being mysterious now. It's not helpful. We don't like mystery. It doesn't bring peace. And yet, actually, the Bible presents actually we've got to get people who get become people who become used to mystery. But not just people doers of the kingdom of God, doers of the gospel, are those who are actually okay with a bit of mystery. Because here's the disciples. They've been waiting, they've been walking with Jesus, they've seen the prophecies of Ezekiel, that when the Spirit of God would come, His kingdom would come, and they're saying, God, we know that when that time comes, the fullness of your kingdom will come, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more pain, there will be no bad politics, there will be none of this chaos, actually, Jesus will be on His throne, and perfect order will come to earth, and they're saying, we want that. So Jesus doesn't come in and smack them, He comes in gently, and He says, actually, that's a good question. Will this be the time? He's saying, actually, guys, I want to just reposition your question into trust in Jesus, trust in the Father. He says, actually, the times and the dates are under His authority. See, I've tried to teach you this for three years, but you still haven't got it, so I'm going to teach you again, because I know you're hopeful for the fullness of the kingdom coming, but actually, I want my people to know my Father's in control. He's seated on His throne. He is glorious, and He is in full command of all the details. We struggle with that. And even these disciples, they they should have known better. They'd walked with Jesus. They'd seen some of the most crazy miracles. And I mean, you would think after three years of seeing these miracles, that didn't make sense in the natural, that they would have got used to mystery, but they still haven't. Think of Jesus' first miracle. Actually, Peter, you've been fishing all night. I want you to chuck your nets on the other side. Uh, You know, Jesus, I'm kind of a fisherman. You're kind of a carpenter. I kind of fished all night. There were no fish. So can we just call it now I'm Jesus, I'm telling you, throw your nets on the other side, oh, what's that, fish everywhere, come boys, come, I mean, and then they would have stood back and go, hang on, what happened there, what happened there, there were no fish, we chucked on the other side, which makes no sense, because it's the same ocean, and all of a sudden, there is fish, abundance, now it's a mystery, because it's Jesus." And then Jesus continues, and he does miracle after miracle, and every miracle he's redirecting their trust towards more and more of God. He calms the storm in Matthew 8. I mean, imagine, they're in the ship, the boat's going, whoa, 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 the, the waves are roaring, the wind's roaring, everyone's getting up, wor- worked up, and Jesus is down, he's dorsing. He's just sleeping, just having a doze, you know, one of those, just dozing. And they come to him, Jesus, what's going on? So and he comes out. He says two words. Be still. Oof. And they're the disciples. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold the bus. What just happened there? No, but I, I told you. I'm the son of God. Yeah, we heard that. But you just told the sea to be still. Yeah. I tell my kids to be still. It doesn't work for the first seven times. He told the sea that's on its head to be still, and the sea calmed down. He said, guys, for three years, I've tried to get you to miss. We are disciples, and some of us have been walking for way longer than three years, and we still really, really, really struggle with mystery. And I'm telling you, when you really, really struggle with mystery, you're really, really going to struggle to become a doer of the gospel. Because doing the gospel comes with a mystery package. that always does. And all these other miracles. That he feeds 5,000, takes a few fish and a few loaves, Five thousand fed, and the disciples are like, we saw that happen. That's weird. That, that's just weird. He he walks on water, and then calls Peter to walk on water, and going, how does that work? And the oaks on the boat there, they're checking the water. No, ah. but I mean, I was reading this one today. It says the the, the, the friends of a deaf guy who's been deaf for a long time bring him to Jesus, and they beg him. It says this after he took them aside, he takes this man aside. You want a miracle? Allow Jesus to take you aside sometimes. It's away from the crowd. They might even be shouting for you. They might even be praying for you. They might be doing everything you need. But I'm telling you, sometimes there's a moment to go aside with Jesus. He takes him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. I'm already out of that story. I don't like fingers in my ears. I'm like, I'll stay deaf right now. But, but this guy was desperate. He so said, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh said that word, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. When you haven't spoken in your life, and all of a sudden you can hear and speak, you're not going, how did that happen? You're going, who are you? I want to know you. I want to give my life to you. I thank you for this freedom. I want to live this life with you. I want to grow in relationship with you. I want to be around you all the time because every other person from doctors to parents to everyone who's fought for me couldn't do that. He wasn't worried about mystery. He was enjoying the privileges of walking with Jesus. And then the last one that's just amazing, they come to him and they challenge him in Matthew 17, and they say, surely you've got to pay tax too. And Jesus goes, yeah, I know you're trying to trick me. That's fine. I'll pay tax. And actually, I'll pay my mate's tax too. But you know I'm going to do it? Oh, I've got no bucks. Oh, There's a fish. It's going to come up with some coins. Take the coins out of his mouth. Catch that fish. Pull the coins out of his mouth and pay the tax. Ah, uh, Jesus, I've seen some stuff. But, I mean, we're all a little freaked out by that. No, but do you want to be a doer of the gospel? Of Jesus, who's not controlled by man or man's... No, actually, Jesus can tell a fish to bring coins from the bottom of the ocean to pay your tax. I can't give you the answers and tell you to be okay with but I know that we worship an infinite God, and we are infinite. And he's calling us because he wants our trust regardless of mystery. Second point is this, verse 8, and I'm going to read this scripture a bunch of times, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It's awesome. It's not a complicated story. Jesus is saying this, the Christian life, the doer of the Christian life and the gospel needs power. It's a gospel of power. It's not an impotent gospel. It's not a gospel that cannot breathe life with his death. No, we sang the song tonight, you breathe life. You breathe life. It's a gospel of power. And when we stop believing that the king we worship and the gospel we are pulled into is a gospel of power, we become an impotent people, a people of ritual and rhythm rather than a people of worship. And God's pulling us into a story. He says, actually, I want you to deal with mystery and get over the fact that you're not going to understand everything from dates, times, and how it happened, and who God wants to heal, and why He didn't heal everyone. You cannot handle every detail because He is God, and you are not. But I want to pull you into a story. Actually, you need power. And He says, actually, it's like the disciples. You get these guys. They are cowards. They run away. The challenges come. They run away but they have one encounter with the Spirit of God, that baptism that's promised, not the baptism of water, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit. One encounter. These cowards who ran away from the accusations and said, you were with Jesus, they're going, oh, no. No, they were for three years. And the, the rooster crows three times. One encounter with the Holy Spirit And Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Something's happened, and I'm telling you, it's because there's a power transaction with heaven touching earth coming into a man and a woman on this earth and something changes. This gospel that God is calling us to and this story of moving mountains is a story where actually these worms who couldn't command one demon to flee now (laughs) preach and hundreds, thousands get saved. See, one encounter and everything changes. And God calls us to his great commission, Matthew 28. But if it just stopped there, we'd be stumped. Awesome story, God. Thanks for pulling me into a story. He says, actually, I'm going to give you great ability. I've given you a great commission. Make disciples of all nations. Here's how you're going to do it. Wait for the gift in Jerusalem, the Spirit of God. He's saying, Mark, I don't fully get the Holy Spirit. I love the Father. I love the Son. No, no, no. There is no power for Christian life without a relationship with the Holy Spirit. There just isn't. I wish I could say, yeah, there's another route. There really isn't. Jesus says, wait, because He knew that the disciples, once they had the story, once they'd seen the miracles, once courage would rise up, that would sustain them for a little while, they'd run out like the Charlies they had been for the last two years and assume that it would all happen and nothing would happen. Why? Because they didn't have God, the Holy Spirit, inside of them. And this gospel... And the story that God is calling us to is a story of us being ambassadors, as 2 Corinthians calls us, ambassadors with authority, authority and power. Maybe you've heard this story. I think I told it once here before, but I was in standard six at a very big school of 1,300 boys. I was the second smallest kid in standard six. If you're younger than 35, grade eight. Yeah, thank you. Are you clarifying for some? Grade eight. And so I walk in this big school, and the first team prop, we had to call him God. That was his name to us. We had to know every matric's names. You couldn't get it wrong. It was a different day at school. And one day, I'm walking on the school field, and one of the matrics calls me over. One of the prefect calls me over and points me across the field. And there were a ragamuffin bunch of kids who thought they were gangsters, but they're in the suburban school, but they're still gangsters. Confusing. And the tires like slightly off, and they're throwing balls. And he says to me, go over those to those guys. And tell them to be quiet. Mm. Let me give you the real picture. Mm. <laughs> says go over there. Over there. Yeah, go over there. Okay. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Feeling very sorry for myself. I walk across. Think this is, They're just going to literally hit me with like a brick or something. I don't know. Sorry, uh, can you guys keep quiet? And the shouts start coming and the jeers start coming. And all of a sudden the jeers went quiet and they went quiet. I thought, I'm the man. I'm the man. Why? Because God had walked up behind me. God, the first team prop, not God, the father. God, the first team prop, had walked up, was standing behind me. I'm going, they must keep quiet. And they're just seeing him and they're going, it's the same for us. There is a power way beyond our voice. When we command the demonic or we speak into life, or God says, I want you to go into your business and pray blessing. You aren't doing your best efforts. God, the Holy Spirit is with you, empowering you for a story to bring His glory into your brokenness, into your smallness, into our world so that heaven can touch earth. And we need to allow our expectations to rise because as Halet told us, our expectation is His invitation. And Rion really encouraged us. God, we, we, we have to keep sending invitations to God to break into the smallnesses of our story to see His power come. So we see change happening. God's wanting to activate His priesthood. And it's not by us shouting louder. It's not by us cranking up the sound system. It's not by us getting more hyped. It's by us growing in relationship with God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Peter and John, they're walking. and says, actually... Uh, how did they heal that guy? says, silver and gold they do not have. It's a, and it's, there's this little statement. They, they noticed they had been with Jesus. Just be with God and watch power begin to happen in your life. I need to move forward a little bit. I'm going to read that same scripture again for point number three. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You receive power, you will be my witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is one who stands before a judge and a jury and tells what their story is, what they saw, what they know. They just ask to come and tell. They aren't in control of the result. They just ask to tell. It's intimidating. There's a judge. There's a jury. As a believer, you are a witness. There are always judges and there are always jury, but there's only one judge that matters, and his ask is, would you keep telling your story? A witness comes from this word, uh, well, let me get it right. Oh, Why can't I find it right now? Martus, M-A-R-T-U-S. It's the root of a witness. It's the same root word of a martyr. It's the same root word. God says, actually, what I'm, I'm going to what I'm gonna do, I'm going to get you to deal with mystery. Then I'm going to fill you with power, and I'm going to send you out to tell the story. You know God is good? Well, who have you told? Because that's your mandate. You know God is a healer. Well, who have you told? Because that's your mandate. You know God is faithful. Well, who have you told? Ooh. So my point has come out of witness protection. I lived in witness protection for years. I loved it. I kind of thought I got this story and maybe one day I'll be asked, but I'm just going to hide behind the safety of God. I'm going to hide behind the safety of my smallest. I'm going to hide behind the safety of my comfort zone. How far am I going back here? And, and just going to stay in the safe zone here there are too many Christians living in witness protection. I'm not called to live in witness protection in this earth. But see, in this earth, we live in darkness, and you are a light going into darkness. And if you don't shine, then light doesn't come to darkness, and the kingdom of God is not revealed, and there's a problem in that. And God says, I'm sending out my witnesses. And we see these stories of witnesses being sent out. Peter at Pentecost, we spoke about that. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch just telling his story. And we get um, Paul before King Agrippa. He stands before a king, and he just tells his story. He's not making up anything, and neither do you. I lived for years kind of going, God, I don't have a story. Let's, I mean, I'd love to tell you I was this massive rebel and all that. I really wasn't. I was the 15-year-old kid at youth on a Friday night who sometimes went to all-night prayer meetings. I mean, what a sheltered childhood. I did try to be naughty at times. But I grew up in a home that loved Jesus, my parents introduced me to Jesus, and then I got pulled into a story, and even when I went into my drooling days, I never kind of went, Psh. I always knew Jesus. There was a little bit of stretch at times, but I always knew Jesus. Thank you, these are stretchy pants. And, um, <laughs> but I always held onto Jesus, and I kind of thought, God, I've got no dramatic big story. I haven't been to jail, I haven't stolen a car, I haven't done all the stuff that other, these guys have cool testimonies. God says, no, I, but, but I gave you a story. I've revealed myself to you. I've, I've done things in and through life already. All I'm asking you to do is witness about it. With power, dealing with the fact that there's mystery. You don't know how it's going to go. Your job is just to tell the story. Jesus was a missionary. And he says, I want you to be like me. And a missionary is not someone with a badge who has a special tattoo of missionary. No, they don't really have those. Eh? And... um. Just a missionary. Sorry, that was awkward. So they have never met a missionary that has missionary tattooed on the arm. No. Nah. But, um, but he says, actually, they're nothing special. They're just like me. And I want you to be like me. And I want you to witness. Tell your story. See, because here's the thing. If your story isn't spectacular, it doesn't matter because he is. He's always spectacular. There's a lady who came this morning to church for the first time crying out to hear a story of hope because she is riddled with cancer and desperate for God to break in. I'm going, Jesus, keep sending people and I'll keep telling stories. And I've prayed for the sick and I've seen them healed and I've prayed for the sick and I've seen them pass away. My job is not to determine the end result. My job is to keep laying hands on the sick, keep telling the story and keep building a relationship with God so that power keeps entering into my story and his story. That's my responsibility. And then the last one is this. Same scripture, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. I want to tell you the nations are waiting. The nations are waiting, and they are crying out, and there are seven billion people in this world, a whole bunch who have never heard the gospel, and who will go? Where's Copping? Our number one evangelist in life changes right now. Every time I come to Milton, I meet another dude. Hey, Chris, how's it? I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. You're on the serving team, How did you get here? Where's Copping? Here's another guy. I meet him. Yeah, I know. Where's Copping? I meet another guy. Where's Copping? How did you get here? Well, he just told me a story. And most you are going, yeah, where's Copping? must be such a saint. Actually, he's had a really rough last year. Like really, really rough. But Jesus is in him. Life has come and he has a story to tell. And the nations are waiting. So when we tell our story, the nations start to be blessed. We don't have to determine the outcome. And he says, from Jerusalem, which is his Jerusalem. It's our close. It's our table view. It's our close area geographically. But maybe it's your family. Maybe it's somewhere close to you. Or Samaria, Judea, a little bit further out. A bit of a stretch, an economic stretch. Maybe even this prayer time on the 24th of March to go into Mitchell's Plain and pray is a bit of a stretch for you. No, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. A little bit further, a little bit different context, different culture, different stories. For an English boy from Durban, Cape Town and the Afrikaans culture is like that. I totally can speak Afrikaans, but I'm so intimidated because I practice detail. <laughs> and this must a problem. And God says, I'm going to make some Afrikaans your mates, and you're going to do the gospel together, so you've got to get over your issues, because God wants you to be in Samaria as well. And then to the ends of the earth, so he's going to send a Robin and a who are Afrikaans men and women who love the, the Midlands and Natal, and I'm going to send them to the middle of a desert where there literally is nothing going on but shopping malls. Honestly, I've been there. It's shopping malls and mosques. And God says, I'm going to plant one church. It's the worst church building in the world. You don't go there for the church building. But there is power, and there are stories of God's grace. And there are Nepalese men and women, and there are all these men and women from around the world who have gathered, and they've counted the king of kings, and God says, yes. Because a man and a woman responded to go to the ends of the earth. And Rory showed us the scriptures in John chapter 2. Jesus walks, and he encounters a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Someone different to his story. Someone different from his story. He says, actually, maybe your, 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 your Jerusalem is someone close by who's different to you. I need you to tell them your story. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's the person who sits next to you at work. I just want you to tell the story. You're not in control of the outcome. Keep giving the outcome to God and deal with the mystery. And then we see later, actually, Samaria he encounters a Samaritan woman. He shouldn't speak to her. He shouldn't even engage her. He says, will you give me some water? He says, but you shouldn't speak to me. You're you're a Jew and you're you're from a Hebrew background and I'm a Samaritan. He says, no, actually, I want to speak to you. He says, actually, where's your husband? He says, actually, I know about you. You've had husbands. You're living with a man. And he speaks heaven into her and she goes, whoa, it's Jesus. And then she goes back to her village and later we see that whole village starts to come to hear of this gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she had a story at a well. She encountered the Jesus Maybe because he just took her away for a little bit. And I'm excited and I'm passionate, but I'm passionate because God is calibrating us again. I hate that thing when people take you and they lift you up and everything goes. I hate it. It's like my worst thing in the world. And yet afterwards you walk around going, I'm four foot taller. How did that happen? And I feel like God's doing that with us. And if we just move on, we had these gifts, and that, that was cool, and the show ponies came and pranced around church, and they did a miracle here, and there's a little bit of laugh there. Yes, there's a little taste of the show pony. That's nice for church. Great Sunday. Or we go, God, you give gifts to the church to equip us for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so we want everything of it. Would you recalibrate us as a church? And would you call us into a story? A story where we are doers who can handle mystery. A story where actually he fills us with his spirit and power comes. So that Daniel lays hands on the sick with courage and they get healed. Not Daniel brings the sick to church so the pastor can lay hands on the sick. So that James can lay hands on the sick and they get healed. So that Stefan walks in business meetings, and and no one has a strategy how to do this thing, but he's a son of the living God who has the greatest strategies in heaven. And because Stefan's there, and he's a son of God, God gives him a strategy, and business flourishes, and his bosses are blessed. Why? Because a son of the living God is in that place. And he's full of power. And then he pulls us into a story, He says, actually, Stefan, don't just leave it there. Tell your story. Well, let me tell you about what God's done. Let me tell you about the fact that when God gripped my heart, I couldn't read another book. I just read the Bible because I was so enamored with this Jesus. I didn't want to read about anything else. And then he says, maybe God wants you to take the gospel beyond. Maybe some of you need to go with Gabe to Zimbabwe in July to preach the gospel to a nation that passionately loves Him, but actually they could do with encouragement and men and women to come. Maybe you need to go visit Robin Deslett in Qatar. Maybe you need to come to the call in August as churches from around the nation and around the world gather to come together to petition God for amazing things. Maybe you need to get in your car and drive to a prayer meeting on the 24th of March as the nation gathers to pray, not for rain, but for so much more. Maybe you need to move and watch the power kick in activate the SIM card of heaven in your life and watch the signal of heaven start, begin to operate. And you see, actually, it's not just for the show ponies on the stage. This gospel is for every one of us. Every single one of us. And the book of Acts, just the story of nobodies who got taken up by a spectacular God, given a spectacular story. He says, actually, I'm gonna tell this. And actually, it's just a description of there is so much more for my church. So much more. Can you stand with me tonight? Can we close our eyes just for a, a second, please? Just, um, please don't get taken up by my excitement or zeal. I, I'm actually quite an excitable chap, but nothing excites me like Jesus. Nothing excites me when the broken and the bruised have tried every doctor, every specialist, every person who could maybe help them in this world, and they start coming to the church to say, actually, I've heard of this guy, Jesus. He can heal. Say, yes, he can. ma'am. I can't in my own, but actually, he's called us to lay hands on you and trust for God to do amazing things. Maybe you came here tonight and said, actually, I don't know where I'm going. You'd be like every one of the disciples before they encounter Jesus. Well, I'm just, my dad was a fisherman, so I'm going to be a fisherman. My dad was a doctor, so I'm going to become a doctor. My dad was a tax collector, so I I might as well do that. No, there's so much more for your life, so man. To be led with power, with a story to the nations of this world. If you don't know this Jesus... You haven't made a decision to worship him and say, Jesus, I don't just want you as my Sunday habit. I want you as my Lord and Savior. I'd love to give you the opportunity to make that decision. And it's not about making me feel good that I did my job. It's about you receiving what he has for you. And the promise Holy Spirit seals you in that moment. If you haven't made that decision, or you need to make a statement, say, God, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life tonight. Will you raise your hand to me? I would love to pray with you tonight. I'd love to pray with you. Amazing. Awesome. Is there anyone else? Awesome. Amazing. Some amazing hands. Jesus, right now, in this place, with a simple act of faith to raise a hand, I believe heaven roars with applause And I believe the vault of heaven, your blood washes clean every spot and every wrinkle and every blemish. Your grace pours out that today isn't just another day. Today's a new day, a new story, a new life. Who you were an hour ago changes in his economy and his blood right now. We don't need to work out how it is. It's just called salvation. It's amazing. And I thank you right now, God, for salvation. That these people would never, ever, ever be the same again. We praise you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor for these lives. We think, Can we celebrate that? And then I want to pray for one more thing. It's amazing. Salvation's amazing. Get baptized. Can I just, not even, in two weeks' time, or if we want to do it tomorrow, we can do it tomorrow as well. But if you want to, get baptized in two weeks' time. It's just another step of obedience for Jesus to be Lord. Lastly, God's speaking to us. And if this is your house, I'm telling you, God is moving us. God is challenging us. He's calling us to step out again. He's saying, you've disqualified yourself for so long with your little story, and yet it's not about your little story. It's about my big story, and I've pulled you into that. Will you rise in faith and courage and allow the power of heaven to come inside of you to bring his grace and his glory? If you're saying, actually, I want some of that Mark. I, I, I want more, there's got to be more to my walk with Jesus. Well, I'm telling you so, ma'am, there's more to mine too. So I'm putting my hands up, but I'd love to pray with you tonight, if that's okay. Why don't you lift your hands to him? I can do nothing, but God is faithful and is kind. And I say, God, right now, right now, I pray, Spirit of God, you are in this place, have your way. Come and ignite fires, revival fires, fires of passion, fires to see the broken made whole, fires to declare your name on the street corners and in the boardrooms of the city, God. Let fires burn where apathy has reigned, God. I say let the fire of heaven come, God, where apathy has ruled and determined the temperatures of our lives that we will live for you. I pray, God, raise up the temperatures so that your name would be made great. In this city, in this nation, in the nations of this world, I may come into the hearts of young men and women where where, where paths are laid out so strategically in the ways of man. And I say, bring mystery and pour it upon us. And I call men and women to the most random place of this world so that purpose and destiny can be unveiled, so that your name would be made great and the broken and the bruised of this world could come to know you, God. Send them out as doctors. Send them out as teachers. Send them out as au pairs. Send them out as business people. Send us out, we pray, God. We don't want to hide away in the four walls of the church, God. We see the book of Acts as a description of what is possible for your church. And we say, God, we want everything that you have for us. We want to be a place where people run to when they're broken. We want to be a place and a people where people run to when they're hopeless. Why, Jesus? Because you are in the midst of us. Have all the glory, God. Can we say that? Have all the glory, God. Have all the glory. Have all the honor. Have all the praise, Jesus. We worship you. We worship you, God. We worship you.